it's Emily Williams, the founder of I Heart My Life and your host of the I Heart My Life show. Today we have episode 77, What Happens When You're Too Focused on Achievement with Valerie Del Grosso. Valerie is someone who's in our mastermind this year. She's an incredible woman who has created two amazing businesses. And yet, like many times throughout her life, she's found herself feeling unfulfilled. Today, we're talking to Valerie all about what happens when we're so focused on achievement instead of alignment. This is real truth, real talk about what happens for those of us who are super driven to go to the next level. And we kind of forget about our heart and what it is we actually want and what brings us joy in the process. So if that's you, you're going to want to listen to this. Let's dive in. Welcome, Valerie. I'm so excited to have you on the the show. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having me. Perfect. So I'd love to know a little bit more about your journey. People's stories really fascinate me. And I love to see what kind of led you to create two amazing businesses. How did that actually happen to you in your life? It's really funny because I've been examining this a lot lately, and um, I guess it's a little cliche to go all the way back to childhood, but uh, doing a lot of work, being at your event recently especially, and I think it was David Nagel talking about the importance of what happens to you between ages zero and seven, that has recast my own view of my story. Um, And it turns out I come from a really... um, dysfunctional uh, upbringing, even though from the outside, it looked picture perfect. And uh, so much of what I've done has really been for external validation reasons. And so I have often found myself in places where it, it was just very incongruent with who I am as a person, because I had done all of these great things, a lot of times for the wrong reasons. And um, you and I have talked about there's this um, achievement versus alignment. And that really explained probably the first 25 or 27 years of my life. And by the time I was 27, I just was thinking, I have to be more intentional how did I get to these places where I am that look nothing like whatever dream I had for myself? And so at that point was when I really tried to become more self-aware and uh, work on myself and work with great mentors and teachers so that I could finally build a business that really serves my life and also serves my purpose. Um, And so that's a really long-winded way of saying, first, it started by accident because I just wanted to do something, even if it wasn't necessarily in line with the vision I had. And then I got really intentional to put this desire to act in place in a way that would actually achieve a specific goal I had in mind. Thank you for sharing that and for your honesty. I know a lot of people can relate to that, that desire to do something, but oftentimes we're doing something to feel validated or to fulfill someone else's dreams. So in terms of your journey, did you always know that you wanted to be a lawyer? I did. And it's really funny. I come from um, an immigrant family, a family of uh, like craftspeople and artisans. And so an office kind of desk job is really uh, wasn't necessarily uh, assured, I'll say. And I had this one cousin who became a lawyer and he seemed to live this fancy, amazing life in New York City. And I thought, he's doing something cool. I'm going to do that. And I really had no idea the details of being an attorney or what that looked like on a day-to-day basis. And then finally in college, when I got a job in a law firm, I ignored a lot of uh, what I saw in front of me 
and I still pursued it. I had to, um, I had this vague vision, but I followed through on it and did the hard work. And then um, once I was in the profession, I was able to make it my own. So when you had that job in college, in the law office, you were already in, you were, you were studying to become an attorney. I was. Yeah. So it was really your cousin. That's so interesting. That inspired you to take that path. I know a lot of people can also relate to that. There's maybe some example of someone doing something. It it speaks to your curiosity and you start to follow it and you think, okay, well, I'm going to have the life that they have. And we don't always know what it looks like behind closed doors. So tell us a little (laughs) bit more about when you actually ended up graduating, getting that first job and what happened since then. Okay. So, um, I, uh, I decided at one point that the type of lawyer I wanted to be had something to do with kind of public health administration. So I went into college taking 24 credits a semester, thinking I was going to be a JD MD. And, uh, there are like 1500 of these in the country, very rare, uh, thing to do, but and I was that stand for? <laughs> yeah. Um, and Once I got to the end of two years of college, I had enough credits to graduate. uh, And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to move right on to law school. So I entered law school at age 20. I was a lawyer at age 23. And for as mature as I'll say I was on paper, I really had no business uh, being in that business at that age. And It was an uphill battle at first because I was not being taken seriously. Um, I didn't know how to hold open space for clients who are dealing with really difficult situations because I had essentially no life experience of my own dealing with that. Um, And so it was this really great achievement, but it came with a lot of burdens. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So let me break this down even more. So when you got into law school at 20, I mean, what is the normal age for people getting into law school? I would say 22 is probably the youngest turning 23. Um, Okay. so So you just piled on the classes and you just moved full speed ahead. Is that how you did it? That's it. I was working two jobs and I was taking 24 credits. And so I graduated with my degree in finance in two years from undergrad. Wow. And so what do you think was the drive? What was the reason you chose to do it at that speed? Um, Because I had gone in thinking that I wanted to pursue medical school and law school, I needed to have this science background, but also I wanted to have the business background for the lawyering aspect. And I also wanted to be done in the same amount of time. And so I think I've told you before, sometimes I would find myself doing things that were difficult just for the sake of doing them. Um, And that was one. And do you know, the first question of my life that I ever had someone say, just what are your motivations? I was killing myself. I was so stressed and tired. I lived by a schedule on a spreadsheet. And I remember at the end of my third semester, my dad just said, well, why do you have to finish by next semester? And I was so caught off guard and angry by that question. But the truth is, looking back now, I realize I just didn't have an answer. Um, And that, you know, at that point, I was 19 years old. And that was really the first question that I can recall in my life of that required me to look at myself. 
Interesting. Yeah. And so in that moment, did you feel defensive? Like, you know, well, why would I not want to finish in that time frame, dad? Like, what did you say to him? I don't. Well, I think I came up with a practical answer, which I'll come to in a second. But internally, I was defensive about it. First, because I really hadn't considered it. And second, because I realized in that moment, I kind of snapped out of it that I was married to a certain outcome and I was doing what was required to achieve that outcome without regard to the fact that my life was then I was already living my life and I was torturing myself really without reason or without expectation from somebody else to do that. And I was defensive because I was punishing myself and I had gotten called out on it. Hmm. Um, the practical answer was you can't start law school in the spring. And so I would have to have waited a whole extra year, which when you're 19 and uh, driven for no reason, that just seems like something you just don't do. Yeah. Totally. So what is it like there, there must've been something that was driving you. So do you think it was the money? Was it, a, was it just simply achievement? I thought you might ask me this question. <laughs> so, um, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I guess I think that in every person's life, there is a period of time where they can do what I refer to as muscling it out, where you just make it happen and you do it in a way that I'll use that punishing word again. Um, that's very punishing and that you probably can't recreate again in your life, but also you would never want to. And when I evaluate my motivations, I, I come to something actually very simple. So the dysfunctional household that I grew up in, um, my mom, she started out funny, crazy, and then went to annoying, crazy, and then turned into like, we're standing outside of a mental institution, begging her to check in kind of crazy and her special brand of crazy. And, and just as an aside, I'm making light of it because this distance from it is what helps me cope. Uh, but I don't mean to be dismissive or discount mental health issues. Um, she is a narcissist and a person who has high ego, but low self-esteem. And the way for me to be seen in our house was to achieve. So when you're a kid, the really only playing field you can achieve in is school. And so I would do these things in school to gain recognition. And the thing about school, you know, barring some kind of learning disability or whatever the case may be, it's a pretty short feedback loop of doing something straightforward and seeing feedback, positive feedback. So you do the thing and you get the feedback and you do the thing and you get the feedback. And eventually the feedback itself is the reward. And as you go through life and get older and you get especially out of really, um, structured environments and into entrepreneurship, which I did do, the the feedback between the action and the outcome actually becomes much more distant. And sometimes it doesn't happen at all. And so I think my motivation to do things back then is it was kind of easy for me to do amazing things, I'll say, in the context of education that I just 
tried to pursue that over and over again. And as I got older and realized sometimes you put in an input and you don't get the outcome, period, let alone a positive outcome, I had to really reevaluate my motivations for doing things. Thank you for breaking that down. That's so fascinating. And I agree completely because I grew up in a household where I was also taught to achieve and had that pattern of wanting to be known for doing something great and Mm -hmm. getting them that immediate reward. And I totally agree with you. Sometimes now when you're an adult and you're running a business, it's not always so immediate. And I think that that brings up a whole other can of worms for people where they think they're doing something and nothing, you know, nothing comes from it, or at least doesn't seem to. And then it's like, oh, am I on the wrong, wrong path? Is this actually happening for me? Can I actually do this? Am I doing something wrong? What if the clients don't like me? All of this stuff comes up because we are so used to that immediate gratification or that immediate reward or that person telling us that we're on the right path or we've done a good job. Uh, Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So when you move forward and you know, you got your degree, you graduated, what was the first step that you took um, out of college? So I, I studied for the bar exam and then I had already secured a position with kind of a traditional fancy law firm And I had this six-figure starting salary and I was just like, this is it. You know, I've arrived. Ignoring the fact that the summer prior when I had worked for these people, one of the other interns and I had gone through the phone list and realized there was not a single person on that list that we would trade places with no matter where they were on the organizational hierarchy. So big red flag that I ignored. She moved to Hawaii, by the way. Um, I studied for the bar and went back there. So oh, wait, let me break that down. So you're saying that you looked at all the employees and there was no one, they were all above you or? Yes. Yes. And there was no one you would trade spots with? Not a one. And what made you even have, like, so clearly your eyes are opening to maybe this isn't the right (laughs) path or maybe I need to reevaluate this. So what even made you look at that list and have that, that process of thinking? Um, I remember she came into my office one day and we were just generally, I guess, commiserating about the fact that we didn't really have a lot of work to do. We're just kind of hanging out. And you should know in the context of the legal profession, after your second year of law school, you go and you do these internships and they wine and dine you to trick you into coming back because then they're going to bury you with work when you return. So I was not a person who wines and dines, first of all, because I had barely just turned 21, um, but also (laughs) I was just such a worker and it didn't appeal. And so it was just one of these long summer afternoons where we're hanging out with nothing to do at the office. And, um, the conversation turned to that topic. So my friend and intern, a fellow intern, I think she had listened to the red flags a lot sooner. And this was kind of the culmination of that, where she was not even sure she was going to return for the third year of law school. So um, that's how it came up. And then she moved to Hawaii. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you came back and you got inundated with tons of work. And then what happened? So the work that I was doing, and you you have to realize at this time, the market was turning. So this was 2008, um, end of 2008. And there was just this panic in the office. And I mentioned earlier about my mom, the high ego and low self-esteem. That 
um, that realization dawned because in traditional law firms, there's a lot of that. It's still very, uh, you know, do the thing, get the feedback reward mentality. Uh, but it's among people that, um, it's an extra ugly trait because I feel like they're highly educated and should sort of know better, but instead it's this very petty environment and I hate it. Um, and so you can imagine you take these achievement oriented people kind of self-selecting in this industry, and then you put the pressure of a tanking economy on these people who did get into it, not because it's fun and easy and enjoyable, but because there are these financial rewards and image and all of that. And it, I, I somehow knew the feeling of a sinking ship and it was not good. And so I also knew being the newest hire and the person with the least to offer in terms of experience, I was definitely going to be the first one out. And I was. So a day came like six months into my career, they laid off about a third of the firm and then ultimately the firm shut down. Um, and I had to move on to a firm that was not prestigious, but thank God a friend of mine owned it. And he, I got laid off on a Friday and I started with him on a Monday. Um, and I had to rise up and do real work for real clients in real crisis. And that's kind of where I got the traction in my career to have a different perspective than just sitting, you know, in, I'll say the metaphorical ivory tower, just collecting big paychecks and esteem. <laughs> yeah. And how was that experience for you? It was a nightmare. Because all of these things, all of the personal development work that I hadn't yet done and because I was so young and all of that, um, it all of that reared up. I mean, there is no way to counsel someone who has borrowed from everyone in their family to keep a business going and then still has to go bankrupt. I mean, this was a crisis, obviously, in the world economy. And it was happening on a one-on-one -on -one basis across the desk from me, little 23-year-old kid, essentially, with technical skills, but really no practical skills. And so I would come in the office at six o'clock in the morning and sit with these practice guides, which are basically summaries of the law. And I would just study to figure out what the heck to do that very day when clients would come start to see me. And um, it, it was a trial by fire, kind of. I, I had to rise up and I did. And I'm thankful for that experience, even though I got out of it as soon as humanly possible. Yeah. And so what was the next step for you? <laughs> this is so crazy, Emily. So a friend of mine who worked at that firm was turning 21. She's like, come to this country bar. So I'm living my nightmare. Um, and I, the, the last thing I want to do is go to a country bar. But I met her there and I see her out on the dance floor with some other friends. But I also see her purse. She had this purse that you like could not miss sitting at a table and on that table, one of these tall bar tables were shots of something, but not like one or two shots or four shots for the girls, but shots smashed together on the table, 30, 40, 50 of them just filling the table. And I'm thinking, what is going on? And I look up and there's this dude standing there and I'm like, oh no, this is not the kind of night I am here to have. Well, it just so happens. Uh, I'm not really a drinker. This person was not a drinker, but he was in Las Vegas celebrating the closing of the largest private sale of a company in Canadian history. 
He was the CEO who had taken the deal from the old owner to the new owner. And the founder of the company who had just cashed in on $600 million was out on the dance floor with my friend. And so I got to talking with this guy about my predicament. And I ended up going to work for him, um, buying businesses because as soon as he took over, he realized that even though they had just had this huge payday, the business model was not sustainable at all. And he needed to act fast by going out and buying companies that could fix his problem rather than trying to build a new business line from scratch. And little old me was the one out there going and courting these companies, looking at their books and their business model, figuring out how it would fit into our business and getting the deals closed and integrated. And I don't know. I mean, this guy had some nerve even putting that on my plate because he had uh, what I'll call important people to answer to. We were a public company. Um, And he put it on my plate and just saw that I had the potential to do it. And I did it. And so that was um, the next 18 months. That's what I was doing. Wow. I didn't know that part of your story. That's incredible. So let's break that down a little bit more. And so what happened because of that experience or what knowledge did you gain or what, how did this move the story forward for you? So a couple of things from a practical standpoint, I got to see inside really successful online lifestyle businesses and learn how they can scale. So totally unexpected thing to learn that is the core of what I do today. Um, But from a life standpoint, I had had these grand visions for myself as a kid, but aside from my cousin who I really didn't have that much detail about what he was doing. It just, he lived in New York city and that was enough for me. Um, I never knew anyone who actually lived that kind of life. And so when I started working with these guys, they were the embodiment of that vague and unidentified dream for a grand life that I had had. Um, and so, well, they worked on their own terms They worked in unstructured environments. They would pull off these mass achievements without that mind-numbing, you know, nose-to-the-grindstone punishing work methodology that I just thought was necessary. Um, They traveled and they met important people and they put these deals together and they made connections and they were all super smart. And I meant to say this to you actually at the live event, but something that really all of your speakers and yourselves have in common that that these people also had in common were it's very rare to find someone who has both technical expertise and is just an intellectual, but actually always operates on the other side of their brain in this creative and more spiritual way. And I think being in the company of the people who have both of those, so that are equally strong is so rare. And so just being in their company and being a part of that group and feeling like I belonged most importantly was a dramatic experience, I'll say. Wow. And I can imagine that them, that gentleman in particular, seeing something in you when, like you said, like that was, that was a bit of a risk for him to put you in the room and in these meetings and in this role um, that must've meant something to you. It did. I felt like I, 
I guess I had unsubstantiated uh, confidence in myself as a young person or untested. And in a way, I'm thankful for that. And then in other ways, I cringe thinking back on it. But he answered that. Um, and was a pretty impressive individual that I felt that the feedback was valid coming from him. Mm, yeah. And so you were with that company for 18 months. And what happened after that? So during that time, we were sold from one company to another. And the company that bought us was very old school. And that's a conversation for a different day. But it was a really good um, example of how management style and culture is actually really important and not just this fluffy thing that we talk about sometimes or the way it's treated a lot of times in the media. And so we would put these deals together and then they would just languish. And so effectively the position went away because we couldn't get our board to approve or see the vision. So I decided to leave. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, And so I went for safety and I went back to a very traditional law firm environment and I decided, you know what? This I'm just going to make this work. I'm going to get some feet on the ground, just good old fashioned experience, uh, which is what I did for the next about two and a half years. So that takes us up to what, like 2012? Yeah, 2000, I'd say 2013, 2014. I might be missing a little bit of time. But so the end yeah. of that position was 2014. And that's when I went on my own finally. Great. So yeah, let's break that down. So when you you were in that position, you got the experience. So what was it that really motivated you to step out on your own? Well, I have a dear friend, Mona. Mona has a way with words and um, I'll let you, uh, (laughs) I'll let the listeners fill in the word. But this one day I was talking to her and she's like, you know, I just, I wake up and from morning till night, I have the F my life chorus just on repeat in my head. And I was like, yeah, so do I. I drive to work thinking, I don't want to go here. And I pull in the parking garage, like maybe I can wait in the car for another minute. And then I get in and I'm thinking, I can't do this work because I'm not doing the thing I should be doing. And I'm so anxious and I have this chorus going on in my head that I'm not getting my work done. And if I never get this work done, I'm never going to be able to work on my own stuff and get out of here. And it was a nightmare. And for people who suffer from anxiety, you might um, recognize that thinking pattern. So I went to the doctor for an unrelated reason, and she she opens up the drawer in the cabinet and pulls out a little hand mirror, and she puts it up to me, and she says, why are you having a panic attack? And I'm like, I'm not having a panic attack. And I look in the mirror, and I'm flushed from head to as far down as you could see in the mirror. And she said, you know, I know types like you. I'm a type like you. I think that you are suffering panic attacks, and I think you're having just anxiety in general. And I think you could really benefit from some medicine. So she said, I want you to go out and do your research on this medicine. I'm going to suggest come back in 30 days. And if you, if you want me to prescribe it to you. And so I thought, well, what the heck? And so I start taking the medicine and the chorus goes away. And then in its place comes this super extreme clarity that I have to get out of here. And so one day I'm at work, I log into my bank account and I'm like, you know what? I have like six months worth of money here that I can leave and go and do this business idea that I had at the time. I'm going to do it. So I worked my little backside off to get all my stuff done. And I walked into my boss's office that Friday and I said, today it's going to be my last day. 
And I have a friend who's sailing around the world and she was so afraid to give her notice. And so she calls me her quitting consultant um, because <laughs> she did backflips to try to quit. And I said, Leslie, you must go into your boss's office and say, today is going to be my last day because you can quit a job and then forget to stop showing up to it. I am evidence of that. <laughs> right. So you quit and then she quit. She quit. She's like three years into the circumnavigation. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you start the business and let's just take it, you know, step by step. So in terms of that first year, you had the six month run rate. How did that first year turn out for you? It was a disaster because I thought I had a plan and really, in fact, I did not have a plan. Um, and more importantly, because I would always resort to this fear-based thinking, um, Someone called me and said, hey, I need you to review this commercial lease I'm about to sign. And I'm like, "Okay." well, $75 later, I was in a totally different business. (laughs) And um, I just ultimately spent a lot of time recreating a business model for myself that hadn't been working when I was doing it for someone else as their employee. And it was not until the beginning of 2018, I would say that I made a really intentional effort to not keep repeating old patterns. And I wasn't perfect from January 1st of 2018. It's just that I had to get over my own BS and start calling myself out and taking totally different action in large part with uh, by relying on business coaches and other people who could hold the vision for me and help me take the steps to get toward it. What do you think have been the biggest shifts you've had to make to get out of that cycle? And by the way, it's not just, you know, a cycle from age 20 onward. Like you said, you've identified certain things from your childhood. And so that stuff is really deep. So what was it that's helped you kind of shift out of that? Um, I, I, I would say it started with having come from an environment that was getting crazier and crazier, there was a moment where I had to say to myself, I do not want to behave like my mom. And that was kind of the first transition into being self-aware. And then from there, um, I had to look at where I was having, um, I'll say I was, I was overestimating myself in some areas. I had to humble myself to the fact that just because I have a technical skill in lawyering does not mean I know a thing about deciding what I want my life to look like, backing out what that would mean for my business, implementing what it would take to have the kind of business that I'm saying will support the lifestyle I want, um, and accepting the fact that just like in any other area, there are experts who can help me do all of those things. And so, um, accepting help, that was a big one. And I think for those of us who are so, um, well-versed in achieving, we're often well-versed in doing it by ourselves. 
And it can be hard to humble ourselves and ask for help, especially when you have achieved so much. You know, I I see that with a lot of our clients, but then I see the flip side with people who are maybe even, you know, much older than myself. And then they come to us and ask for that support. And I, I hope that I'm always like that. I hope I'm always a forever learner and willing to be humble and say, you know what, I don't actually know how to do this. Can you help me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know that you had a lot of success with the business that you have currently. And on the flip side, there's um you know, one of the reasons, if we're just being perfectly honest, that I wanted to have you on the show is so that people can see that we have to start to give ourselves permission to transition. And you've mentioned many transition periods throughout our time together on this episode. And I know that right now you're also working towards building up another side to your business or kind of like a whole separate business mm-hmm. um, because you know that you just had a baby. There are other things that are happening. There is more that you want to do, but also there are things in your life that you know will increase your happiness level. And so from what I'm seeing, there's been a shift from, you know, let's just achieve to how can we achieve and also be happy and live a life that feels fulfilling. Is that accurate? 100%. Yeah. So how has that transition been for you? You know, I'm much more accepting of myself than I used to be. And so I would say if this had happened earlier in my life, I think it would have been more earth shattering. But the feeling has been one of acceptance. And I think I have literally said to myself, whatever you've been trying to prove, and for whatever reason we're trying to do it, we won't even get into that. But whatever you've been trying to prove, it's done put that down and let's go to the next thing. And I think that reaction speaks a lot to how much I've grown up. I just turned 35 this year and I finally feel like a real honest to goodness adult. (laughs) And, um, I think I feel peace actually for once, even though in my darker moments, I do feel like, Oh no, am I starting some epic new amount of work? But I don't think so. I think this time it's going to be about ease and joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't you think, you know, as a fellow achiever, I'm just resonating with what you're saying. Don't you think it is still a constant recalibration because the natural tendency is achievement and hard work and doing for me, it's a constant, like how can we shift into ease and joy? Because in a lot of ways, it's still not natural. Yes. And I think actually, Emily, that's one of the reasons that I have really been drawn to you over the years is um, I think it takes one to know one. And I know you've been open about how you have worked a lot in the past and, you know, burned the midnight oil and done all of that, which I appreciate because I think a lot of people try and just make it look like it's all martinis on the beach and, you know, whatever. Um, But sometimes I do find myself asking is the outcome worth it if it wasn't a grind to get it? And I know that's old thinking patterns. Um, and that is going to be the evolution that has to happen in the recalibration you're talking about. Totally. And I think, you know, as someone who is somewhat on the other side, but like I said, I still have my own tendencies. I think for me, it was understanding that the journey is part of it. And so if we're always, it sounds cheesy, but if we're always just focused on the joy filled destination that we're going to get to someday, we're missing like so much of our life. And Mm -hmm. so 
you know, I know that your business is so successful. You had an amazing year financially, and it's not like you're, you're turning away from that company by any means. But I also know that you have other things that you desire to do, which we'll get to in a second that will result in more, more joy. And so I just want to champion you because I think a lot of people do get stuck in the grind and they get stuck in being so focused on the destination and they forget that there are a million things that you could do that would be enjoyable throughout the process. And so if you don't have that in your life, I really hope everyone listening makes some of the difficult decisions to recalibrate and find that thing that is going to bring you joy along the journey instead of just waiting till we get to this end goal or even worse, waiting till that retirement finally happens 20, 30, 40 years from now um, because life is far too short and far too precious for that. Agreed. Yes. So tell us what is on, like, you've just joined our I Heart My Life Mastermind, which I'm so excited about. And I have to say, working with someone like you, who is an incredible achiever, works really hard, but is now searching for something that's more heartfelt, searching to go deeper, wanting to transform in terms of mindset and awareness. That's so exciting for me because that's my jam. We love that. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So what is it that you're looking to achieve this year? We're at the beginning of 2020. And I use that word deliberately, but I mean achievement, not just in numbers and revenue, but for yourself personally. Yes. Um, This year, it is all about um, systems so that if I don't feel like burning the midnight oil, uh, the business will still work for me. And part of that goes to this bigger issue of I do have a really good idea of what I want my life outside of business to look like. Um, and it is simply incompatible with me being the workhorse. Um, and so on the family side of things, I would like to not be in the office every day. Um, I would like to have more live interaction with my clients. I would like to, um, work with people who are further advanced in their business. Um, some, you know, more of the heavy hitter types, although I do love working with what I call tipping point entrepreneurs that are really starting to see some traction. Um, I want to spend more time on my hobbies, which include weightlifting. And I've really committed to doing that, even though it's a nightmare scheduling wise, but it's a good lesson. I'm working too much still. (laughs) Um, and I've decided deliberately to do it in the company of other people who really understand. I love my friends and family, but they're just not in the same headspace that I am. And that's why this mastermind is going to be so important. Totally. And just even giving yourself that permission, you know, we spoke about this a few months ago about weightlifting and how that was a joy for you. I mean, is this a new thing for you to give yourself permission to, to add all these things into your life and to explore what actually makes you happy? Does that still feel foreign or is it starting to feel more normal? Um, it feels slightly foreign and, and really more specifically, it brings up guilt issues Um, So that's kind of what I'm exploring right now. But because I'm so committed to not ending up in the same, um, the same old patterns with another year going by or another decade going by, I'm just letting myself sit with those feelings and see if just, just sit with them and understand. Right. 
So we're just a few weeks into our time together and our work together. Can you share anything with the audience about any of the shifts that you've experienced so far? Yes. Um, the number one has been, it's, it's a combination of accountability, but also aspiration. And so what I mean by that is, since we've started working together, I really do not want to come to you with something small. And I realize on one hand, that sounds external validation e, but on the other, I realize I've been spending a lot of time and energy making myself small and kind of hiding. Um, and so I want to kind of rise to your level. And it's really helped me evaluate all of my plans to say, could this be done sooner? Could this be done in an easier way? Could this be done bigger? Um, and that has been a super big shift for me because the thing about being the loner workhorse type is no one's going to call you out for going for the low hanging fruit of achievement instead of really hitting it out of the park. Oh, that's so interesting. So even though you are, again, to use the phrase, well-versed in achieving, you've noticed the ways in which you are keeping yourself small. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions we love to ask our guests here is how would you recommend that our listeners create a life better than their dreams? The answer to that is to be intentional about your end game. And I think even more importantly than being intentional is to be comfortable having frank conversations with yourself and looking at the reflection in the mirror and being truthful with yourself. Because I have found that even the harshest truths just really don't hurt that badly. You can accept, identify, and move on from them. Yeah, you illustrated that very beautifully throughout our time together here, that awareness that you have about yourself. And I think that so often we don't want to look in the mirror. And that's amazing that that story where the doctor actually gave you the mirror <laughs> and said, look, and what the most successful people, the happiest people, they are self-aware and they're willing to humble themselves and get support and do the work to transform and, and in particular transform from the inside out. So thank you for sharing your story with us, Valerie. Thank you so much for having me. And where can everyone find you online? You can find me at uh, facebook.com slash your friend who's a lawyer or at delgrosolaw.com. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. I hope you loved today's episode. As you can see, we work with our clients on a variety of different things, including business strategy as well as mindset, because we truly believe in holistic success. If your business is running at a speed that you can't cope with, that's not actually true success. If you're not happy every day when you wake up, that's not true success. If your relationships are in the gutter because your business is succeeding, that's not true success. <laughs> I'm sure you get where I'm going with this. We love helping women everywhere heart their life, and that means all of it. So if you're looking for some support in that area and to be happier, to create more success in your life and business definitely book a call with our team. Go to iHeartMyLifeBooking.com now and get the clarity that you need to really understand how you get to that next level in every area of your life. 
Thank you for listening to the I Heart My Life show. For more inspiration, success tips, and ways to achieve your life and business goals, definitely follow me on Facebook and Instagram on I Heart My Life Now. See you next time.